In fact, I'll go so far as to say the number of watches that have been sold because people specifically don't understand the dial is, is a number that we probably probably surprise us. Like this draws people attention. It's sort of like, you know, like, what, what is that? I don't understand it. I, I need to figure it out. And that's actually compelling to people uh, in a lot of ways, more so than just a, a standard two or three hand watch. Wait, I really only have 30 seconds for all of this. Okay, on this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly, we have the usual folk on, plus two mystery guests. We also have coverage of the Met Gala, well, really just Ryan Reynolds, Tudor setting up a cycling team, new watches from Itai Noy, Bremont and Bamford, Doxa and watches of Switzerland, Timex and two from Maurice LaCroix, plus reviews of the Nomos Club Sport and Rolex Day Date in Platinum. Can you work out if David likes it? Because I certainly can't. Well, finally, hello to Ryan Reynolds. Enjoy the show. Oh, how long is that? Oh, oh good one, Christy. Greetings and welcome to this week's eBlog to Watch Weekly with myself, Rick, with David, and we are joined by the man who described himself on his own podcast, Superlative as the Joe Rogan of Watch Podcasting. So, Mr. Ariel Adams, what makes you worth $100 million? <laughs> wow, I don't actually remember saying that. And then when he said, I was like, did I say that? That was the joke, everyone. That was that was Rick's comedy. Yes, tell us about the Superlative show from this week. It was really good. Uh, the one with Steve London? Yeah, the one with Steve London. So Steve is a buddy of mine, and he also has written about watches and gone on trips and things like that and has sort of done the watch journalist thing. And he's been doing it for a little bit longer than me. And over the years, we've had a lot of conversations about sort of what it's like to be in this industry, some of the misconceptions. And, you know, we're... Uh, we both like to laugh and joke around a lot, and maybe sometimes we're a little bit mean, so we have sort of similar sense of humor. There, there is a degree of of comedy in it for sure. It is a funny show, but you know, there's we we there's a little bit of disparagement of people and things like that. Which you know, it's funny because people always say like, Ariel, you need to be more mean. When I started out, what I did, I was pretty mean, and it actually worked really well. But I, I've I've had to tone it back a little bit. But maybe I need a new way to be mean again. Yeah. Is the world ready for that? Uh, I'm not sure if we're, if we're in a position where... I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I'm in a better position to be mean today uh, because like, I'm, I'm probably better spoken and a little bit more diplomatic about it. But at the same time, I know too many people. But the conversation with Steve London was good because we discussed that um, a lot about what lux- luxury watch media is and what it isn't. Um, there's been a lot of good feedback about the show. So hard to describe what we talked about, but people did enjoy it. Thanks for asking. I think if you want to hear what watch journalists talk about when no one else is listening, then you need to listen to this episode of the Superlative Yeah, there podcast. you go. There, It's basically like one of our phone calls. Like we've had phone calls and like basically the show is that. And I, um, I, I think sometimes that makes for uh, a good show. So now most of the time when I have phone calls with people, I pretend like I'm doing a show, right? Although I'm not sure as someone that does podcasting and only has an Instagram account... I came off particularly <laughs> well in this show, but it was a good show. So go and check out Superlative from this past Monday, but it's touching two other pieces of news in the meantime. First one, Met Gala, really the only reason I want to talk about it is so as we can mention Ryan Reynolds, copy his Instagram account and see if we can get a shout out from him, a like, something like that. We do have some celebrity followers. We've got a couple of Formula One people, Mr. A certain Mr. Verstappen. That's fantastic. We're going to see if we can get Ryan Reynolds as a friends of the show, get a wee shout out from, from Max. Who is Ryan working with these days? Well, it days? would appear to be Omega, right. because recent film, which I've not seen, it's a sort of time travel, Ryan Reynolds playing Ryan Reynolds, 
and all the other parts that he's ever played all in the same film as if it was like an old airplane movie where everybody cameos playing their standard characters. There you go. He's entertaining. He is very good. And he also owns a football team near in a little village called Wrexham where I have an office. So I'm hoping, you know, maybe if I tap some sponsorship, the football team is maybe we can get him to come on the show. Maybe we can get a bit of watch coverage from him. So why are you so excited about the Met Gala? Isn't this basically a fashion show and something to talk about? To be honest, I couldn't give two hoots about the Met Gala, but I do like Ryan Reynolds. And so this Green Omega, it's a good excuse to talk about it. And this is the one opportunity for you to talk about him is the Met Gala. I just say. Well, it was more that he did a wrist shot on his Instagram account, either that he owned or that he borrowed from Omega. Oh, you don't do you don't do a wrist shot at an event like that for a watch that you that you already are. This is in <laughs> hopes of or or thanks for giving it. Yes, that's that's it. Yeah, he was he was like it was like I do like this moonshine goals very much. So here's a wrist shot for you. Here's my wrist shot to my millions of followers mm-hmm. and the hope Omega you'll let me keep it. Anyway, I'm assuming no one's got anything useful to say about the Met Gala. Well, I think I think we should we should tell people, you know, since we've talked about Mr. Reynolds so long, <laughs> that he was wearing the Omega Speedmaster 3861 Moonshine Gold with a green dial and green bezel. So. Is that what Ryan Reynolds is wearing? Yes. Okay, so look, he probably was at one of those, like, suites where they decide, like, what to wear. He probably saw the Omega, said, boy, that looks handsome. I know good watches. And, you know, he's like, you know what? I'm Ryan Reynolds, and if I post about it on my Instagram, where's the Met Gala, can it be mine? And Omega probably just stared at themselves and said, absolutely, sir. We're so happy you're a fan. They were like, sure, but you don't, you, you won't have the box. <laughs> yeah, no box or papers. But what is it about a woman's, you know, fashion show environment that sort of really draws your attention? Because the Met Gala is something that I'd like to make fun of as something that is quite silly in terms of the coverage. I don't really know what the event is about other than wearing a dress. I equally have no clue. I just saw the watch pop up and I thought, let's try and shoehorn this into the show. It sounds like a slightly better publicized version of Art Basel, where the exhibit is what people are wearing. So there you go. If you want to check out his Instagram account, it's a bit of a strange name, but I'm sure if you just type in Ryan Reynolds, it will pop up. I think you should just plug Ryan Reynolds in general. Just pull up his IMDb page, rattle off his movies, and just say, check it all out. Just add him to every episode going forward. Just have him be... I think that's a stunning idea. We'll just do a hello to Ryan Reynolds on every show until he actually says hello back. I'll say, hey, what's up, Ryan? He strikes me as the kind of guy who would actually say hello back at some stage. He seems like a savvy guy. He's a business person. I think he'll be like, what the hell? (laughs) So there you go. Shout out to Ryan Reynolds, friend of the show. Other news this week, Tudor trying to set up a cycling team to get into the Tour de France game. Any views? Any cyclists? Yeah, I love cycling. I've told the watch brands for a hell of a long time that that cycle people are really watch people, probably even a little bit more so than car people, and car people are definitely watch people, because Hmm. a bike is a mechanical thing. I mean, there are some with electronics here and there, but for the most part, like, it's an an identical appreciation of the mechanical arts. There's like endless nuance, weird customization, and stuff like that. The thing is, a lot of watch brands have, have figured this out, but who is making actual cycling watches or watches inspired by the look of bikes? I, and I'm not talking about putting like a like a you know a, 
a disc brake on the on the dial or the bezel like it's a motorcycle. I mean, I'm talking about actual watches that would be worn during cycling. And I'm not saying there's none, but it's relatively rare. I mean, I know as much about cycling as I do about the Met Gala. I'm sure you know a little bit more about cycling. I suppose I probably treated the Met Gala cycling rather the same way I treated the Met Gala. And I looked at the cycling uniforms, looked at the Tudor logo on it and thought, oh, that looks pretty cool on it. The Tudor shield on the black jersey. That was my contribution to what I thought about it. I did think it was interesting that Tudor are sponsoring the kind of thing that you would normally associate Rolex with sponsoring. Do you also associate uh, the brand with Lady Gaga? Because I don't. No, only because of the number of times that you hear that association mentioned in podcasts, YouTube channels and publication entirely mocked do I recall that association. But because I do recall it, maybe it does therefore work. It's possible that it does, but I I know the people at the brand and... and I'm pretty safe in saying they only like it when people speak positively about them. Let me ask you a question. Yes, Tudor is putting their name in the Tour de France and cycling, things like that. But do you think that they'll do anything more than that? Because this is a known concept to throw your name there. The reasons they do it when like, I ask brands, they're like, oh, well, we get to send clients there or retailers if they hit sales goals. Like, There's all these other reasons then people who watch the event will like our watches. Like, the thing that it's meant for, they don't do very well. I remember years ago, I was at a racetrack that Tudor sponsored. And I, I was amazed because I saw the Tudor name repeated thousands of times. But that's it. Not a single picture of a watch or a single mention of what Tudor does. Just the Tudor logo without any context or explanation. I was like, what a massive waste of money. And now I'm not pointing out, trying to point out Tudor is the only one that does this. This is common, but Tudor has more money than others so it's like they have more money to be poor at marketing and I, I don't know that that much has changed in the last 10 years they're trying for sure but like they still pull stuff like that and when i was at that racetrack seeing that i was like has anyone from tudor actually been here to see what what happened like like this is the weirdest thing in the world and and there's still a lot of that so i fundamentally believe in cycling and i fundamentally believe in the idea of sponsoring events I just wish these brands took it a little bit more seriously. There, there's certainly potential in uh, in these events and stuff, but I see some merit to only you know um, adding the brand name everywhere and not a watch. You know, sometimes it gets kind of cheesy. I I remember Tissot did something with with MotoGP, and you know they had the watch there, and and it just looks weird. You know, or or Blancpain with the uh, GT endurance, uh, you know, motor races, car races. And it looks kind of weird, you know, when there's like a watch. Sure, there can be some tasteful ways, but I feel like they might have wanted to imitate Rolex in the sense that when you watch Formula One, it just says Rolex and everyone knows what Rolex is. Likewise, Richard Mille, you know, they sponsor racetracks all over the world and, and racing teams and goodness knows how many race car drivers wear Richard Mille watches. But on the side of Ferrari or Haas or whichever team they are sponsoring, it only says Richard Mille. It doesn't say anything. It could be literally anything. It could be like a, 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 a whatever product, you know, and yet it's a luxury You need watch. to test to make sure that that demographic knows that brand. This was the first year that Tudor was back in the United States, okay? And this is in the United States. I guarantee you nobody in there had any idea what Tudor was. Oh, so it was the first year. Well, that, that adds a spin to it for sure. Yeah, like... <laughs> Clearly what's needed is to kick the whole team out with the great range of t-shirts from their blog to watch shop, spot the plug, 
at so that folk can identify that the Tudor logo has anything to do with watches. We can make a shirt that says in really large letters like, hey, I'm wearing, and we have like a block that you can fill in with a Sharpie, watch. So you can just, you can make sure that everyone knows what you're wearing, you know, so it's, it's a little bit less subtle than wearing or whatever. It, as far as I know, they're trying to, you know, advertise a British royal family. I just, it's just be more specific. It's a late noughties TV show, is it not? The Tudors? Yeah, and it was good, and it had nothing to do with wristwatches, and that's probably what most people were thinking about <laughs> at that racetrack. They're like, wow, I didn't know that show was coming Great back. Great stuff. Let's get on with reviewing some actual watches from some actual articles from the website. Okay, first up is another watch that you need to get you guys to explain to me. It's from Itai Noi, limited edition Time Quarters watch. Looks a really funky watch, loads of colours, haven't got a clue how it works or how you read it, other than recognising it has the world's smallest hour hand. So who wants to have a go at explaining this to me? I will. I'm the resident Itai Noi translator. For years, he has been telling me like, oh, Ariel, you really understood my watch. Because look, he's an artist and, you know, he tries to do something different. And the reason that I appreciate independent watchmakers like him, he's based in Israel, just outside of Tel Aviv, you know, in his shop, he and his brother work and they make their own straps and things like that. But he wants to make sure things are original. And these individuals survey everything that is done in the watch industry so they know what there is and so that they know that what they're doing hasn't been done before. And I appreciate that. I appreciate these individuals, you know, on a budget, they're small companies trying to do something cool and fresh. And this is an extension of a concept they've done before. So you're right. If you just look at it, you're like, what's that little tiny hour hand? It, it doesn't make sense. But what you have to recognize is that hour hand is actually attached to a disc underneath the dial, which is moving. This thing just sort of tries to show you it tries to tell the time differently. So it does so by adding up quarters. And so when the hour hand is at three o'clock, there is one full quarter on the dial full because uh, in, in the sort of the, the upper right hand corner to show that a, you know, a quarter of the total 12 hour time has passed. And so it's, again, it's just trying to play with this notion of time mathematically by segmenting into different units. Do you have to be a math nerd to be into this? Probably. But again, he's doing something a little bit different. And, you know, that's that's what the brand's about. And that's that's been bringing him success when he's done just done like three hand watches and things like that. They don't sell as immediately. You do something like this. In fact, I'll go so far as to say the number of watches that have been sold because people specifically don't understand the dial is is a number that we probably would probably surprise us. Like this draws people attention. It's sort of like, you know, like, what, what is that? I don't understand it. I, I need to figure it out. And that's actually compelling to people uh, in a lot of ways, more so than just a, a standard two or three hand watch. They're only going to make 24 of these. They're going to price them at $6,800. And frankly, I think the only way you can appreciate what this looks like and how it works is to read the article. So go and check it out on a blog to watch.com now. This is still back at Watches and Wonders 2022, where we went hands-on with the new Platinum Rolex Date 8 36. Those who like the Rolex Date 8, including myself, might remember that when the Date 8 got refreshed back in 2019, they discontinued the uh, Platinum version of the 36mm version, and uh, the 40mm went on. And now the 36 in Platinum is back, and the big news is that both the 36 and the 40 in platinum now have a platinum a fluted bezel for the first time in something like 80 years in the history of the fluted bezel 
And I wrote this hands-on article, you can find it on the blog to watch, of course, where I um, contemplate whether, you know, this is a good move, whether it makes sense, pros and cons, and, and why Rolex did it in the first place. Because it's rare that we see Rolex change something uh, fundamental, like a code. And in my mind, in, uh, in the world of Rolex, it used to be codified uh, that if you see a fluted bezel, it's an 18 karat gold. And it's always been like that. It was, an, it was never in steel. It was never in platinum. There were some engine turned bezels, which, you know, none of us would, would mistake for a fluted bezel. And some of those engine turned bezels were, in fact, in steel and in gold. But fluted bezels always in gold. And now that it's in platinum, I asked the nice people at Rolex why, you know, this came to be. And, and you know, we were told that, uh, well, you know, it was always meant to be. We just didn't know how to do it. So the, so the time when the day they debuted back in 1956, it already had a platinum and an 18 karat gold version. And the gold had the fluted bezel, but the platinum had a smooth bezel. And the reason for that is that platinum is notoriously difficult to work with. In fact, it's incredibly difficult to work with, about 10 times more time consuming than, than gold. And there are certain things you virtually cannot do with platinum that you can with gold, because gold is easy to work with and to, and to form, and, and uh, platinum is the exact opposite of that. Rolex always likes to try and stay ahead of the curve. And this exact watch that David uh, and we all checked out has an identical version with a smooth, polished platinum bezel, which I don't know, David, are they still making that version? Or is no. that just being... Okay, so <laughs> that literally came out last year. <laughs> so that's a one-year model, I guess, uh, for, for collectors. And that is the, the sort of like ice blue dialed a platinum uh, president. And as David said, they, they replaced that with the, the fluted bezel now in platinum, and that's a big deal. And on the one hand, Rolex is abandoning a lot of these symbols that, like David said, that, you know, you, you'd know the material, the fluted bezel, it was always gold. But what I think is more important is that Rolex is trying to stay ahead of the curve. No one else but them right now can do a fluted platinum bezel that way. There are other companies that have kind of tried to copy their gold ones. They believe very strongly in this idea that we should invest in doing things other people can't do. But for the collector, there's no understanding them anymore. Like they don't sort of respect certain, like you said, little codes and certain little values and rules that they made for themselves. There's a lot of, oh, we used to make this in gold. Now it's in steel. Now it's in platinum. This bracelet goes here. And yes, to a degree, they've all done that. But it's just a lot of shuffling right now. And I think that what's really missing for enthusiasts like us it's just a little bit of novelty. Um, the last novelty we really saw from them was like the the Air King dial, the current one from the Bloodhound vehicle. That's really the like the most novelty I think we've seen from Rolex in a while. And like, yes. I get it. You should always make the GMT Master better. But like, do we have to go a decade before we see something new? Like that just feels like mm. too long to have to wait. Uh, you know, what, what I'm missing, for example, obviously I, I, I hugely uh, respect the... Uh, the technical advancements that they have made with the 32 series of movements, you know, the 32, 35, and 55, etc., in their different watches, you know, because they have extended the power reserve and they are now super accurate. But at the same time, it was in 2012, I believe, so exactly a decade ago that we saw the Sky Dweller, which was a revolutionary movement in, in lots of different ways. And then before that, the Yachtmaster 2. And these are incredibly complicated movements bespoke you know from the ground up basically and th these things are just missing and now it's it's like you say it's shuffling oh here's a new dial color on the oyster perpetual you know whatever and sure th those are important as well but i would love to see rolex flex its muscles a little bit 
in that way. And I guess we can take a fluted platinum bezel as such, because like you say, they are ahead of the curve. And the fluted bezel in gold already is, in my opinion, unrivaled. So, for example, and I don't want to like single out any single other brand, but you can imagine any major Rolex competitor. And when they try a fluted bezel, it's 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 really bad. Especially, you know, even sometimes on their own. But once you put a Rolex next to it, it the Rolex fluted bezel stands out as an absolute, you know, beautiful piece of jewelry. In conclusion, I still can't figure out whether you like this watch or not. I can't figure if you're completely offended by it because of the changing combinations of metals and bezels from Rolex, or you love it just because it's Rolex doing their I thing. I kind of like the fact that they are doing something that they say they always wanted to do, they just didn't know how to do it, so I, I do respect that they go after that. But what actually offended me, I mean, it's, it's a way, you know, it's an exaggeration for dramatic effect. But in 2019, when they redesigned the 36, they changed the case profile. And now it looks a lot more feminine as opposed to pre-2019 36s, which I, in my mind is a men's watch because it's a timeless size for the day date. And now somehow the proportions are just not that correct. So that's, that's what I actually have an issue with, but that's for another time for us to discuss. So if you had 60,400 Swiss francs burning a hole in your pocket, would you actually be looking to put your money into one of these? I would, I would put a picture of a Lange and, uh, and, and the day date above my, my bed and I would think about it. And uh, I would wake up one day and I would go and would just buy the Rolex. <laughs> I still want the gold one. Yay. Look, here's the thing. Platinum is a very strange metal because it feels awesome to one person that's the person wearing it and a lot of people like that they're like oh it's discreet only i know but gold has so much more communicative value it's really buying a different product i mean the difference between the president and platinum and gold is just the material as far as rolex is concerned and of course the price is different but like the person that buys it is so freaking different i guess they're both cool but like that's sort of the interesting thing you'd have to be like such a luxury nerd to recognize that even though it's just a separation material it changes the mentality about this product like completely and now that i think about it, i like them both but for completely different reasons most people would get more bang for their buck out of like a yellow or rose gold version for sure the platinum was more expensive way more discreet mm -hmm. but if you're the type of person that likes that you know who you are the gold is definitely the more efficient luxury. It tells a much simpler story to anyone who sees you wear it that I've got loads of money and I can afford to buy a gold watch as well as being able to actually source a watch from Rolex at all. If you want to see more details, check it all out on a blogtowatch.com with David's I'm article. also still not sure if David likes it. <laughs> I, I guess I will have to buy one and figure it out for myself. We now hand over very briefly to not one, but two mystery guests. So here we go, mystery guests. We have mystery guests this week. So who are you both and where are you both from? All right, thank you very much for having us on here today. My name's Nick English. I'm one of the co-founders of the Bremont Watch Company, along with my brother, Giles. And I am George Bamford from Bamford Watch Departments, and Nick is a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did warn you before this that we might have done this in a format of Mr. and Mrs. You know, like, do you know the size of each other's wrists? 
do you know each other's favourite watch, etc. But we'll maybe save that for a different show. Maybe actually, I think that I think there'd be some mileage in that. Maybe doing that live somewhere. I think that'd be a lot of fun, actually. I think it would, but we'd have to get off from car uh, from uh, watches to cars as well. I know, and we'd have to go for a long uh, romantic walk first to make sure yes. our answers were in, in the sync. Well, I mean, one of my questions was going to be to ask you both how many times you've each crashed a car, and then. See if you can Ooh. guess as to whether you've crashed one more. Well, why don't we do that one just for a giggle just now? Okay, so George, do you think you've crashed more cars than Nick? Uh, sadly, probably yes. Okay, Nick, <laughs> do you think that's true? Do you know, I'd have probably said the reverse, but um, now George has said that, I'd be lovely to know how many. Okay, well, drum roll. Let's count them up. Right, George, off the top of your head, how many times have you had to make an insurance claim for your car? Uh, maybe not an insurance claim, but probably about six times. Six times, Nick. Can you beat six? No, I'm probably um when it's that sort of those sort of knocks, probably three. One spectacular. One spectacular. So there's a there's a highlight of what the future episode yeah, exactly, of exactly. Mr. and Mrs. George and Nick Bamford English uh, <laughs> will 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 sound like in the future. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, we get you here to ask you quick fire questions on what you guys have been up to in your recent release. So who wants to tell us? We'll go to George first. What have you actually released in this last week? So this is a brand new watch. This has been something that's in the culmination of quite a long time of a friendship. And this is on the S500, the Bremont um, kind of what I would talk about, one of the backbones of Bremont's watches, uh, the iconic S500, the dive watch. And we've done a Cali dial or California dial inspired watch on this. And we've taken a signal color of mine that is black so this has been one of those things that's been it's been uh, amazing to do this with uh, Giles and Nick and you know working with two people that inspire me has been absolutely amazing and working on this watch I mean Nick can probably fill you in on all the little details but there is elements on this that we've both pushed each other further and further to create something that I think is unique a limited edition piece of only 250 watches and and it is, I, I'm wearing it today in the office and it just makes me smile. And I think that's what a watch should do. Excellent. Now, Nick, why this release as a collaboration just now? Yeah, well, it's a very good question. I think it goes back a lot longer than this year. I mean, we've known George for quite a few years now. And, uh, you know, when we started Bremont back in 2002, Giles, it was the other brand we were looking at the whole time um, because we just thought they were so cool and what they were doing was George and his blacked out Rolexes and everything else he was doing it was just very very cool so there's a sort of conjoined history there and there were, weren't many other brands to to look at at the time and we just loved everything sort of George stood for and you know incredibly modest and self-deprecating but just doing some incredibly cool stuff and our journeys to sort of run in parallel and We've talked about this for a number of times. We have a lot of common interests. There's some, you know, whether it's watches or cars or just beautifully engineered things. And and I think that's brought us together. And we meet up, you know, a lot anyway. And we just sort of said that we've got to do this. And uh, what's so lovely about it is the fact you've got this watch, which 
we probably wouldn't have done. You know, it's so obviously collaboration, which I absolutely love. And it's pushed us out, you know, pushed our boundaries, which which is brilliant. And where, George, can we find this watch just now? Not very many places. Not many places now. I'm about to say, as I, I'm almost thinking it, it may be sold out or it may not be. I don't, Nick, Nick will probably be able to say better than I. No, well, all of our, the allocation went, all in literally in about eight hours the whole thing went and then i think um obviously we sell through our own stores and uh, online but also so the online and our store stuff went out immediately and we we sell through retailers as well and i think virtually all of their orders have gone as well so it's been incredibly uh, exciting to watch so that kind of negates the question about when is it released because it's almost been and gone. So in light of not asking that question, is there anything else we can expect from the two of you as a collaboration going forward, seeing as this one's clearly been quite successful? Um, maybe just just um, sleeping, maybe the best thing. This has been an amazing project to do, you know, working with Bremont. And honestly, it has been an honour. So for my side, it would be like, hell yes, but what would work? What would feel right? This watch, you know, I, Nick said um, that we've spent a while talking to each other, but it, it has been about six or seven years of us kind of having good conversations, but never feeling right on a project that we wanted to, as I always say, God, I want to steal it. This is a watch that I want to steal. But I, I think there's, um, we've, we've got to do another one at some point because it's, I think- uh, Oh yes. I'll tell you why, it's because it's been so much fun. Oh yes. You know, life we all know is rather short and it's just been great. It really has. And uh, it's, it's lovely sitting down with someone else who's creative. That's something we, you don't often get to, to do as a watch brand because you're often sort of immersed in your own world. So love doing that. But, but also we've got so many more ideas, which I just think we want to we put down. And, and what a lovely form to put it down in, in, in terms of building a watch. So we're going to have to do another one. I don't know when. Probably not immediately because we're all very busy, but we'll definitely have to do something in the in the very very near future again. Well, you heard it here first. It kind of seems it's one of those things. That I'm kind of uh, fallen off my chair already. Going hell yes, I'd love to, but when, what, how, and <laughs> and how do we do it? I, you know, for me, the Cali dial on this, and also the California blue. Um, Charles came up with this name for the blue that we chose for the watch, and just everything felt it just felt right. The raised ceramic bezel, you know. Every element of this on the S500 is just such a great watch. The off-center crown, you know, Nick's done an amazing design on this, but just kind of had it on my wrist and I'm going through all these elements. They really are, the sum kind of comes together as, as something different. It's not something I would always do and it's not something Nick or Giles would ever do, but together, and this is what a collaboration is about, is these two sides coming together and doing something so great. And if we can do it again, you know, this is, for me, it's so nice not working on my own. It's working with a team and working with an amazing team. I mean, Nick and Giles has got some of the best team on earth for what they launched, how they did it, how everything about it from delivery to everything. It was just such a such a pleasure to work with them. Great stuff. Well, we look forward to seeing what comes next from the world of the collaborations between both your brands. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. And we will hear from you both, I am quite sure, again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. It's been a bit of a week for collaborations within the British watch world. 
Brevet and Bamford, who we've just spoken to, and Fears and Garrick uh, have also released a collaboration this week. It's a great chat with the guys from Bremont and Bamford. Really like this watch. The public clearly also really like it because it's effectively sold out. What are your thoughts on this collaboration? A bit of a surprise or a really obvious collaboration between two British watch brands? It's not surprising to me at all that Bremont and George Bamford would do something together. So I don't know that I sort of saw it coming, but it's hardly a surprise. The base watch is the Supermarine S500, which was the first Bremont that I had. And I like that watch very, very much. Very versatile. George did his thing. It's got his blue and his black colors. It's got sort of that California dial thing. It's legible. It's a tool watch. It's a very nice watch that doesn't really look like the other Supermarines, but is a Supermarine. So it, you know, it, it is a satisfying collaboration. Maybe not the most original thing that either Bremont or Bamford has done, but again, very, very satisfying. A blog to watch is. Uh, more than likely going to be doing an event with Bramont here in Los Angeles on May 21st, where I hope I will see this. And then actually before that, um, I will get a chance probably to see this watch in London, where I'll be visiting. So I, I think it's good. And I am very pleased at how well collaboration watches are, are going. And I hope that this feels, field opens up a, a little bit more. You know, is it the watch which is more important, or the collaborator. And I think that's something which the industry is trying to examine right now. Which of the things is the most important? I believe it's the product. I believe who you collaborate with definitely gets attention, but then the day, it needs to be beautiful. But collaborations seem to have a unique ability because you have these sort of two sides that are really trying hard to make products that are very often better than ones that are not collaboration watches. What do you think of this collaboration, David? I'm happy that it exists and that Manfred is still doing its thing. Uh, I kind of miss those obnoxious surface coatings that Bamford used to do, you know, that were basically tank coatings or whatever, you know, they were totally not made for watches and yet they had a certain appeal to them. Uh, this is this is a this is a nice exercise. Uh, you know, I like it. It's high contrast. I, I love California dials I, or error proof dials as some people want to call them. It would be great to see it more often. So yeah, I'm all for this one. So is that the history of California dial in that it's designed so as you can kind of not make a mistake in how you read it, which we wrap it is back to front, upside down, etc. I seem to remember reading about this. I, I you know, Periscope uh, did uh, a really great article on this. I, I seem to recall that it was it was on his site where I read about it, uh, that these used to be experimental dials that were uh, not very popular at the time, and they had to be called some way or another. And so they were called... Uh, error-proof dials in the sense that, you know, um, for obvious reasons, the, uh, for those who, you know, don't quite know, these are the dials where uh, from 10 to 2, uh, so the upper half of the dial uses Roman numerals, and from 4 to 8, this uses uh, Arabic numerals. And so what happens here is that, you know, it's easier to read in uh, in some situations, and these are called error-proof dials, but they went, they were shipped over to California to some retailer or dealer there, and that's where they got this nickname from. Uh, they are not actually made for California or something like that, but that's where they got resold or something like that, and that's why they are called California Dials. Hey, it's like our state's one entrance into the world of traditional watchmaking. Can't you let us have that? <laughs> there used to be the, the Devon Tread. Wasn't that in California? Yeah, but there's no like Devon Tread dial that you know exists across <laughs> multiple. You know, like, like you know, like the like. 
like a Breguet hairspray. Like Breguet gets to be part of, you know, or like, you know, certain technology forever. It doesn't matter who uses it. I think Breguet kind of, you know, deserves <laughs> that. <laughs> but California, I'm not so sure about. Come on, give it to us. We have nothing to do with the traditional watch industry. Just give us a little piece. But sure, you can have it. You can have it. You can, you can, you can have it. Ariel, I, I would... I, I would love for you to write an article about the case for the California dial and, and why it has to be called that by everyone from now on. Doxa has produced a new limited edition watch specifically with retailer watches of Switzerland. There's a lot of, we'll call it behind the scenes details and facts related to why Doxa and why this, why this retailer. Doxa is a brand that is I think up and coming again for good reason. They are one of the classic sports watchmakers that I've always liked because of the fact that they have a very distinct look to them. They, they, they've never excelled in anything. They've never been the best at this or the best at that. Never been the cheapest, never been the best made, but been very popular because of this distinct look that they have. And it is a fun look. And I think that everyone should have some Doxa experience under their belt. This is some version that apparently, again, I don't know, the exact thing, but there was a there was a dial for an army watch or something related to that that was supposed to be a high contrast dial. This was very exciting at the time. These high contrast dials that you could see underwater or in the fog or you know while skydiving or some crazy thing like that. And the idea was like you know like David said, error error free. You know you can't you can't mistake it. And and, and they they did a good job. But looking back at some of those dials, they're like hideous to the eyes. <laughs> So, you know, is there a market for this? Absolutely. And does it get attention? Sure. And is everyone going to think this is ugly? No, absolutely not. But, you know, there are reams and reams of like vintage watches that you can look at. And you're like, oh, that shouldn't be remade. That shouldn't be remade. And this is one of those dials where I'd be like, oh, that's I'm so glad they tried that in the past. There are benefits to it. And, and again, I, I love that you're getting stuff like this from companies like Watches of Switzerland, who I think should be investing more into stuff like this. Of course, I'm not going to love every single one of the watches, but the whole idea of what they're doing makes absolute sense. And again, if you are into this design, it's funky. And if and if there's anything that I want from a limited edition watch, it's funkiness. So it goes 10 out of 10 on the funkiness scale for sure. I think the big news actually of this watch is to do with Watch of Switzerland's involvement and what I assume is that it comes direct from the desk of James Lambden, Analog Shift uh, founder and creator, now owned by Watch of Switzerland, and I assume that this was like his, oh, I've got access to power and money now, so I'll go ahead and organise to get this done. 100 examples. Not cheap. I think he is going to be one of these things. It's a bit... Uh, uh, not Bovril, Marmite. It's a bit of a Marmite watch. You are going to either like it or not like it. It's not really a casual buyer's watch wandering into Watch of Switzerland. It's going to be for the fanatic, and the chances are it's probably all already sold because there's such a fanboy element at Doxa. Either of you actually own a Doxa? I don't think I have a Doxa. I, you know, I've worn a lot of, of Doxa watches and I like them. I think that I've sort of had my fill. You know, they make so many similar versions that, like, you look at them. Like, that's one of the things that drives me crazy about modern docs is they have all these watches that look the same. And they've actually had ones that are similar. And you, you you're, they're totally different watches, even though they look the same. Like, they're different thicknesses and they have different depth ratings and stuff like that. And, and, and it is a good look. I have so many dive watches. I just don't know 
necessarily when I'd wear it. But again, there is that there is that Doxa buy out there who just loves the fact that it has sort of a, um, an interesting look to it. And, and again, if you fall in love with a look, by all means. And I'm thinking about you know assuming that what you're saying is correct, uh, Rick about you know James Lambden and him putting this together it still wasn't easy i mean look at it he could he probably wanted to come up with a, a new design can't do that got to go with something from the past you know has to sell it to docs it has to sell its marketability to watch the switzerland has to price it at this obviously high amount you know what i mean so that everyone feels like they can make money like it's easy for us to l- laugh and joke about this but to degree it's still impressive when watches like this even come out. I know we see collaboration watches all the time and stuff exclusive for retailers, but it's still very hard because somebody ultimately has to put down um, the finances to fund a production of watches and the sale of them is, is unknown. And that still matters today a lot. Like people are really afraid about putting money into production runs that don't have um, customers. And that's sort of a new and, and scary calculus because if you use that logic um, with a lot of past watches have been be, become successful, they never would have been made to begin with because no one would have been able to tell that they were going to be a success. Um, and so I think that there's a larger story there about brands need to do a little bit more risk taking because this is arguably a risk, but arguably also not very risky. Well, if you are interested in taking a risk on this, go and check out the details at ablogtowatch.com. Are you a Nomos guy, Ariel? Have you been transformed? Uh, that's a good question. So Nomos is a watch brand that I honestly have a hell of a lot of respect for. Um, it's The provenance is fantastic. They're right across the street from Glasuta Original and Along and Zona. Glasuta is, is an amazing city for watchmaking, town, townlet for watchmaking. So, you know, they make they make their own movements and, and, they, and they perpetuate a Bauhaus style that has been important for a long time with that said it hasn't been a style that i myself have always liked i've always felt that some of the watches were kind of small i like i'm happy to say like more macho looking watches that have more you know strong lines and stuff like that it's just my taste and their watches are very soft looking and simple and non-offensive and things like that and so i've not really found a lot of Nomos watches that I wanted to to wear. So when I had an opportunity to review this Club Sport Neomatic 42, I was like, okay, it's water resistance 300 meters. So it's basically a dive watch in water resistance. It's 42 millimeters wide. It's got in-house automatic movement, which was important to me because for a long time, most of their movements were uh, manually wound, which wasn't that interesting to me. And it came on a bracelet, just like a three-link steel bracelet. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this. I want to wear this larger size Noma Sport watch. And it was it was good in a lot of ways. It was amazing because it came with this kit. And the kit was designed to allow you to size the bracelet by yourself. And it had like a hammer. It had one of those like link removal uh, pins and a little one of those like drilled pieces of wood that you kind of insert your watch into and you would then have to like use the hammer to to hammer out pins and things like that to size it what could possibly go wrong with that what could possibly and look for me i can do that but at the you know so i I love that they put this whole kit together which again is designed for this idea that you're going to buy online and there's a lot of forward thinking that, that goes into there this watch is actually priced less than some of their other similar watches like the Ahoy and stuff like that. 
So I think they went up too much in price, and now they're going back. They're retreating. So this is just under four thousand dollars, which I think is is okay. Though I still think Nomos is sweet spot for me and for a lot of people was about the two thousand dollar mark. But there's a hell of a lot of watch here. It's you know for someone that really likes a sort of non-offensive look, likes the idea of having a a well-made German item. You know, I can see people that don't know about watches, but like like their German car and a kind of romance that this is like a fine German watch, but isn't blingy. You know, there's a big market for it. And that it's a sport watch is great. The bracelet, which is the part I was excited about, is kind of generic. It's just a bracelet, a three-link bracelet. The watch was fine. At that size, the proportions are actually a little weird. So that club uh, watch actually looks a little bit better proportion-wise smaller, though I wouldn't wear it. Uh, you know smaller it, it look it's got it's got nice loom it's got a nice style still it's very unoffensive not particularly strong so it doesn't overcome some of those things that that i was concerned about for my own personal taste but it's a very competent watch and i can't hmm. see anybody wearing this being like what the hell is this so if you want to be non-offended surrounded by competence and satisfactoriness then i have to say this is a one for you I'm not a big Nomos fan myself, but this is probably the closest I would come to going, yeah, I could buy this Nomos, I could wear this Nomos all day long. It probably just needs a California Dale. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. A California Dale, and it will absolutely speak to you. So if Nomos would like to do one of them, we are sitting here waiting for the Nomos California Dale, a blog to watch collaboration. So go and check out Nomos Glassweekner at ablogtowatch.com. A good slogan for Nomos would be non-offensive, competent. You know, Rick, you just you, you just coined that. Sounds like a very British slogan. An entirely satisfactory wristwatch. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. That's a bit 1930s in terms of advertising, but... <laughs> there we go. I've coined that phrase. Right, Maurice Lacroix have had a busy week, or at least had a busy week on the Blog to Watch website. We saw, I think it was Ed got hands-on with the new Tide watch, the Fantastic and Plastic, the Icon Tide. And we also saw the release of the Icon Skeleton watch. Hmm. A big Morris Lacroix fan myself, probably along with Doxa and Brightly, big enough, but not big enough to have actually ever bought one. The Tide watch that Ed has reviewed, I think the main issue is that it had the unfortunate timing to come out on the same week as the Moon Swatch. And I'm not sure that's necessarily done it any comparative favours, because it's basically four times the price. Have you, as a Moon Swatch owner, David, seen one of these in real life? I haven't seen the Morris Lacroix because it's just so new, but just judging from Ed's excellent images, I can tell that it's much better made. So it's, it's easily three times better made than the Moon Swatch. Uh, it's seven hundred and fifty dollars, and for a fun, colorful beater that is in Swatch Group, you know, are, are, there are a lot of enticing <laughs> uh, points here. So I, I kind of like this, actually. Honestly, I like colorful cases. It, it's a good-looking watch. The, the strangest thing is my favorite is the pink one with the wave e dial and the diamond indices. I would just get that for a girl, and would be like, you know, if I were a girl, I would just totally wear the crap out of that watch. You can wear it if you're not a girl still, just saying. I'm going to go to Miami and wear it there. What about then the new skeleton dial the Morse, from Morse Lacroix? 
they've actually done it really well. Not normally, as I've said before, a big fan of skeletonized watches, but I do like this. They've cut out the right bits and not just abandoned the enormous main spring being completely visible uh, to you. I think it's an excellent watch. It's a bit of a stretch at 3450 but if you can stretch that far, then then I think this is a spectacular watch. And I'm I'm really happy that we're slockerized still on this icon train. I, I remember it caused quite a backlash because of its uh, obvious similarities to the Royale. But at the same time, why? You know, this was just a, a huge gap in the market. Like, why wouldn't someone make a relatively speaking more affordable and more competitively priced yet high quality version of the Royal Oak modernized as well you know I think it works and I believe it when they say that it's a, it's a tremendous success for them and we've seen so many iterations that is also telling us that it's been you know it's been a great success for Moise Lacra. Yeah I certainly think that the icon has now established itself certainly amongst watch geeks as its own thing yeah it has vibes from the Royal Oak when it first came out but so many brands are now producing this kind of integrated steel sports watch look that actually those that have been doing it for longer have now benefited from the fact that everybody's doing it and it now just uh, looks like a thing looks like their own thing. So I think the icon has now really established itself as its own thing. And Morsequa's iteration of that kind of design is really comfy. It has some unique traits. Oh, yeah. And the fact that you can get it in various sizes, you can still get a quartz version. There is actually a, a variety for every pocket, for every budget that you may have. This may well be a stretch at three and a half grand, top end of Morsequa. But I think looking at it, you would feel like you were wearing a three and a half grand watch. You wouldn't feel like you were being, you know, fleeced. I'm wearing an actually larger and more expensive version of the Icon right now. Sure. It's off. the Icon Master Grand Date. It's in their 45 millimeter wide case. And it has a movement that they make in-house that has like a big exposed balance wheel that it has like you know, individually screwed in weights in it, like a, an old style one, like a free sprung mm. one. That type of watch is very, very different, even more expensive at 8,150 Swiss francs. So <sighs> you're actually talking a lot more affordable at that level. I, I agree with you. It, it's it's a cool look. I don't even think it matters anymore when people like copy Gerald Genta style stuff. Like it's just expected. It's like I feel less and less bad for Audemars Piguet. Like Audemars Piguet, you know, definitely made their money off of the Royal Oak. They're still going to make money off the Royal Oak. And they're going to have to figure out some other way of of distinguishing themselves other than the the shape of that thing. This is a good time to be Maurice Lacroix. And also, you know, there's other brands like it. Like, you know, their arch nemesis, I'm sure, is like Raymond Vile, right? Who has the freelancer skeleton that, you know, is about the same price that is another alternative to this. And so... It's so true that a couple of years ago, you'd never be able to get a skeletonized watch like this. It's really not about legibility. It's just cool. It's kind of a show off watch makes you feel like, oh, yeah, I'm into mechanical stuff. But you had to spend <laughs> like ungodly amounts of money to get one if it wanted to be nice. Because like the inexpensive ones were like, you remember those like those Chinese skeletonized ones that look horrible? And yeah. you're like, oh, my gosh. And now you're starting to see like decent looking skeletonized stuff for that three thousand dollar to four thousand dollar level and and again there's a so people like us might be like this isn't new but we don't we forget that there's all these people out there that have been so freaking hungry for like a skeletonized you know watch of the style and couldn't spend eighty thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars and now 
they're being presented with a price for, again, a very competent, satisfactory product. <laughs> That's a business model that has worked very well for Marisol Croft for, you know, like 30 years now. So have a check at all the usual places for review of both of those watches. Now, I think the problem with the Morris Lacroix and the Moon Swatch and other budget propositions that have come out recently is just what Timex are doing right now. Here is a proper metal watch for $200, GMT, Swiss Quartz. Why would you go and buy something that was a plastic watch when something like this is available from a proper brand? Well, this is why I laugh at the Moon Swatch. People get really excited about spending that much money on plastic. And don't get me wrong, plastic is fine, but like for that kind of money, you can get like a full-on, decently made metal watch. It is quartz, Swiss quartz. It's a GMT, looks cool. It is derivative of many other much more famous and more expensive watches. The bracelet does appear to be a significant improvement on the previous. And I'm almost like committing sacrilege by saying, well, why would you queue for a Rolex that you're never going to get or that you're going to have to pay through the nose for when you can just buy this and get a little bit of the scratch itched? I think you make a very valuable point. I wouldn't praise this so highly, uh, the fact that it's metal. I mean, that bracelet looks really dangerous. To my, my wristers are like, you know, like proning right now, really. Like, oh my God, you know, it's going to tear us all out. So I'm, I'm not really sure that this, this bracelet is, is that good. Maybe Timex has updated it. There's a rubber strap. Oh, really? A rubber one. Okay, cool. Sure. And I mean, it's like $219. So, so I do appreciate the design looks great. The case looks fine. I like the domed crystal that adds uh, a sense of quality to it. But I would argue that people are queuing for the moon swatch because it's, it's fun, right? And because it's, it's the thing, you know, it's Omega. It says Omega and Speedmaster on it. It's not derivative. In this, it is in some ways. And, you know, you could argue and I would agree that it is derivative. But in some, in a lot of people's minds, it's just another Omega that they can actually afford, you know, whereas this Timex is not a Rolex yeah. that they can afford. It's just a Timex. And uh, I freaking love this watch. I'm not bashing it. I would wear, you know, the crap out of this, you know, GMT, uh, GMT Timex. But at the same time, just saying there's a difference there, uh, probably. There, there is a difference, but you know how Rolex had Rolex quartz or oyster quartz? This has GMT quartz. Mm. And so that's that's the difference, GMT quartz. <laughs> I okay. mean, look, to a degree, I, I actually agree with Richard. And look, the, the entire birth of the fashion watch industry came out of the fact that these luxury watches would tout all these designs and you'd have to spend so much money to get them. And now all of a sudden you have you know, a lot of that same look for less. And it and it feels good to people. And Thailand, Timex, you know, didn't start as a fashion watch company, but they, they jumped on that bandwagon. And I and I believe that a lot of people, when they spend a lot of money on a watch, don't want something that is inexpensive looking like it. And I think about sapphire crystal cased watches, which as a material, if you're like, this watch case is made out of sapphire crystal, you're like, damn, that's amazing. Then when you see it, you're like, Oh, that looks a lot like plastic. And when you touch it, it does it. But like, that's the number one hurdle that this amazing transparent sapphire case material has is that some people are concerned it might accidentally look like plastic. And so there's something to be said when a luxury watch has an inexpensive analog to it and that makes people feel nervous about it. And so, you know, Rolex certainly has a whole market of, you know, less expensive versions of that same look 
And I think that if you are a savvy consumer and you and you're more interested in the look than anything else, getting something with this Timex can can in a satisfying way scratch that itch. Yep. So if you want to be entirely satisfied with everything you've seen and heard this week, satisfaction guaranteed. Exactly. That's what you get from a blog to watch weekly. So go and check out the article by Sean about the Q Timex. That is our show for this week. Do check out the blog to watch shop. If you're listening to this on the Spending Time channel, then please directly subscribe to a blog to watch weekly. And if you're on Spotify, you can send us messages. You can you can check out the show notes on Saturday along with Superlative. Take part, leave a comment in the show notes and be in with a chance of winning something from the shop. Very quickly, gents, anything else coming up this week? Well, I'm still in the process of planning some trips for the end of May, so it's getting really busy, um, and we're looking forward to a busy uh, summer. Now that uh, you know countries are opening up, travel is opening up, and brands are feeling more comfortable hosting events and launching new products, so I don't think I'm allowed to say who's coming out with some really cool chronograph potentially at the end of May, but the point is that we'll be there, and if you stay in, uh, tuned to a blog to watch, you won't miss it. Excellent. And Ariel, anything for you this week? Oh, just uh, a, a lot of meetings. It's very busy. Like David said, we can't talk about a lot of the things that we're about to see or we just saw or we'll see soon because it's under embargo. We will be converging as a team again in about a month from now in Las Vegas for the Couture Show. I will be going to London uh, before that. And we also have two A Blog to Watch events here in Los Angeles happening before that, tentatively scheduled for May 21st and 25th. So a lot of things to look forward to, and you'll just have to follow along with our channels to get all the updates. Excellent. Well, that is our show. Thank you very much for listening this week. So it's goodbye from me, and goodbye from there. Bye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. See you next time.